the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888-888-1172. Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Hey, man, send me a Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, Inside the Beltway. This is not, however, live. That's my normal uh, re-entry song for this time in the show. But the interview with Hugh Hewitt today is with singer-songwriter John Androzik of Five for Fighting. And John and I work pretty much opposite hours. John finishes his day at about 2 a.m., and I begin my day at about 4 a.m., so it's rare that we can actually talk without pre-recording. And so after a Sunday night show at Alexandria, Virginia's The Birchmere, uh, I asked John if I couldn't catch up with him for a taped interview, and he joins me from his hotel en route to Annapolis on Tuesday night, and we're playing this on, 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 on Monday night, and, and we're playing this on Tuesday morning. John, good to have you back. Superb show last night. Hugh, it was so wonderful to have you and, uh, and Betsy there, and uh, it's a show I'll never forget. Well, the Birchmere is a wonderful venue. It's, it was packed out, and I know you're on a tour, and we're going to talk about that, but I don't want to bury the lead. The reason that this show, and Betsy and I have heard you probably eight, nine times, uh, is very different. It's a very different show. There is a seriousness of purpose about this show and a contemplative overcast. It's still lovely. Your, your hardcore fans are in love with it, but it's very different because of a song, Blood in My Hands. Now, this might be news to you. We told a bunch of people about Blood on My Hands last night and your solo at the end, your second encore on the empty stage. We'll come back to that. You know that Alessa won't play the song, John? Were you aware of that? I'm sorry, Hugh. I missed that one. Uh, Alessa, if you say, Alessa, play Blood on My Hands by John... Alexa, excuse me. I feel like the guy in the Saturday Night Live commercial. Alexa, play Blood on My Hands. It won't play it. Were you aware of that? I was not aware of that. And uh, unfortunately, it's not the first example of finding the song hard to get. Um, But, uh, you know... It is still on YouTube. It's still on Facebook. It's on iTunes and, and Spotify. But for, for whatever reason, Hugh, it seems like uh, some uh, platforms are, are making it a little harder than it should be to find. Well, I want to come back to it. But before we bury the lead, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love if you would play it for the audience so they can understand 20 days after the end of a 20-year war, we're talking. And this song is about the shameful exit of America from Afghanistan. So feel like you're playing it right now, John? I, I'd love to play it for you, especially debut it first live version on your show because you have been here from the start. So here's blood on my hands. Got blood on my hands. Got blood on my hands. 
John, after last night's or Sunday night show, uh, Betsy and I were in the last row, and so I could see the entire audience. And half of them stood up and applauded you. You received a standing ovation when you performed your end of set. You, your quartet, your string quartet, which is brilliant, had received a standing ovation when they performed. Half of the crowd stood up, half of the ha- crowd sat on their hands. I was kind of surprised, but then on reflection, I wasn't. Is that what you're experiencing on the tour? Yes and no. I mean, the nice thing is, is everybody listens, and I'll take that. Um, nobody stands up and, you know, walks out. Um, nobody accosts me after the show, which would be fine. Um, but 
the nice thing is everybody listens. And as you know, last night, I, I always talk a little bit about the songs and put it into context. And I want people to know it's a moral message, not a political one. I want them to know if President Trump put us in this position, I would write the same song, only the names would change. And I think when they hear that, they listen to it differently and they listen to it more as a moral me message. So, um, you know, I've actually been really surprised. You know, every time we do a show, there's more cell phones out. More people are recording it. More people are sharing it. So I, I appreciate that. And you know what? That's fine if people don't like the song. I mean, it's America. You know, they, they should be able to say, that sucks. I, you know, I'm going to record it and delete it and have fun doing it. So, uh, but, but everyone's been listening. So that's been uh, a blessing. Well, I, I had a guess. I, I'm the father, father-in-law, and uncle of active duty service people, uh, one of whom has served a lot of time in Afghanistan. And so I think it affects military families a little bit differently and certainly veterans, actual combatants in the war. You spoke, by the way, very movingly about military families last night. I thank you for that. You, you get it. Having been in that window, that window that you discussed once myself, it's not a pleasant window to be in. And you discussed that. And that gives me another reason for wanting to talk to you today. I want people to have context for blood on my hands. And a lot of podcasts and a lot of radio people, and a lot of television people can't give it the time. So I'm going to set it up and have you explain it. When 9-11 happened, uh, you were instrumental in the concert for New York. You performed Superman, which became a Grammy-nominated uh, sort of anthem of 9-11. You didn't stop writing about 9-11. You wrote many songs that are connected to it. And you began a career in patriotic service to the troops, which, along with Gary Sinise, actually has no equal over 20 years. And I don't mean to embarrass you, but it's simply true. It's a matter of, of fact. You've organized albums for the troops. You've made USO visits. You've been to places far and wide. You'll play anywhere for a group that's doing a charity event for the vets and especially for the wounded. So you are identified not with the right or the left. You're identified as patriot. So I am curious, given that position, if this is a tough tour to do. It's 20 years and 20 days after 9-11. We're talking 20 years and 20 days and 20 days after the exit from Afghanistan. And it's it's, I think, a PTS is on the country, that they just don't know what we've done. What do you think? I think you're right. Uh, and I've heard from many of our troops and their families, and it is a different tour. And you're right, the tone is different. When I play What Kind of World Do You Want, it's different. When I play Tuesday, that's a plea for um, not forgetting the, le the lessons of 9-11, it's different. Because you know what? We have. And Afghanistan is just a reflection of that. When I play Superman, it's different. It's more, frankly, sad. Um, and I've heard from our troops. They are angry. They are ashamed. You know, for them, they tell me, hey, if I make a mistake, if I'm a trigger man and something goes bad, I am accountable, whether it's my fault or not. But Millie and Austin, you know what? They're going to get, get book deals and do $100,000 keynotes. And they have lack accountability to say the least they are ashamed that we left their the people that saved their lives that work with them for 20 years we left them behind to the taliban it's really hugh a matter of honor it's a matter of the american promise and millie and austin and blinken and the president have dishonored our nation and we are ashamed and i think you're right with with shame 
What's the reaction to shame? We don't want to think about it. We want it to go away. We want to turn our face. We want to turn our head. And I understand why the mainstream media is not uh, embracing the song or having me. I, I understand there's media bias. I understand their audience doesn't want to hear it. But I also think it's about shame. We don't want to admit what we did. And you wrote a great article in the Washington Post about complicity. And if we don't admit our complicity as a nation to what's happening right now and what's going to happen, and it's going to get worse, we'll never be able to atone and evaluate the decisions we made that were so bad, get the trust of our allies back. So this is a national generational shame. And we are PTSD. And what we're doing is just like the song said, I can't hear her scream if she's not on TV. Most of us just want to bury our head in the sand. But we can't. We now, can't. The lead, uh, that the lead, is no solution. The lead story on the Hugh Hewitt Show Monday, the Taliban have hanged four individuals in Herat from construction cranes. They originally hung them from cranes in one location, and they moved the cranes around the city so everyone could get the message. They barred cutting beards in Kabul, and they threatened reprisals. They have assassinated a couple of mullahs who they do not like. You made reference last night to your friend who is actually the spark for blood on my hands. I'd like you to go back and tell the story of where the song came from and also her ongoing efforts in which you are involved, in which many of my friends are involved. By the way, I want to make sure that people understand Republicans are cowering, too. Republicans are ashamed, too. Of the only Republicans who've stepped, Tom Cotton has retweeted and called attention to your song. A couple of congressmen have called attention to your song, Jim Banks of Indiana. They're ashamed, too. It's not a liberal or a conservative deal. It's a, it's a cross-spectrum shame. But tell us about your friend who called you, because I've covered it with you on the air before, but I want people to hear it in one interview. Yeah, I wasn't planning on writing a song. I take no joy in writing the song. I take no joy in putting the song out. And uh, even when the initial images came out of people falling from planes and children being handed over walls, thrown over walls, I wasn't writing a song. I was just angry and upset. But uh, I got a call, as you said, from a friend of mine who does incredible humanitarian work around the world. She's been doing it for decades. And she, uh, she needed a contact number for me. And I asked her what, what was going on. And this was about two or three days after our last, last soldier left. And she said, uh, I'm, I'm evacuating AMSITS uh, from Afghanistan. And um, I'm such a kind of naive guy. I'm not in this world. I said, what is an AMSIT? And she said, an American citizen. And there was silence on the phone. And I, and I finally said, are you telling me you're risking your life and the folks you're working with to go rescue American citizens from Afghanistan that we left behind? And again, there was silence on the phone. And she uh, choked up a little bit and said, yes. And that night I wrote some lines and, uh, and then the, the song finished itself when the president gave the extraordinary success speech, which, again, I think we all were insulted by. But as you mentioned, as someone who has great respect for the military, I, I was hopeful that uh, General Austin and General Milley would come out and clarify that statement, maybe give us a more realistic um, view of the situation and what they were doing to address it, both from a strategic uh, uh, perspective and a humanitarian perspective. But they echoed the same extraordinary success. What a great airlift. And I realized then this was not a military operation. 
This was not a humanitarian operation. It was and always has been a political operation. And then I wrote the Millie lines. I wrote the Austin lines. The Blinken line wrote itself. Wink and Blinken. That's pretty easy. Um, but um, and then I that that was done and I put it out. And uh, it, it, uh, it as I said, it, it didn't take long. I recorded it the next day and and the song basically wrote itself. And now the members of the media who have live in the Beltway and who have taken note of the song sort of gathered for 10 minutes. And you said something that was chilling to me. The Underground Railroad, a new one, is up and running. It is not always successful. People are dying as we talk on this interview. People are hiding, and it, it, it leads to great cognitive dissonance. I love the Browns. You love the Bruins and hockey. We like to tweet about sports. But the cognitive dissonance is I feel guilty when I do that because I'm enjoying an American pastime. I'm enjoying Twitter, which is, you know, a funny thing. It's just an amusing thing. Well, the people in Afghanistan are hiding for their freaking lives, right? They're, they're afraid of a, a knock on the door. How are you dealing with that cognitive dissonance when you know and you're deeply involved with the Underground Railroad? You know, that's, I was thinking about this morning. Because I was thinking, you know, can I tweet about the Rams game or the Dodgers? And that does that just diminish the message we're trying to send? On the other hand, if we just slam Afghanistan every day, does that just become, um, you know, wallpaper and people don't listen to it? I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth on that issue. You know, the Underground Railroad, I just heard uh, Elliot Ackerman, who, who, who I think would be great on your show, who really has much more detail, a former Afghan uh, soldier and, and doing incredible work on the evacs was mentioning that because the Taliban now has control of all the air access uh, and is limiting that now there's these overland routes that are kind of like a, an old style underground railroad that people are using. And one thing I'm going to do too, Hugh, and I know you're part uh, part part of this with me is I'm going to tell the stories of these people who are rescuing these uh, these Afghan allies. You know the Americans. The American honor is still there. Uh, people are risking their lives. They're going down to get the people we promised to protect. So the, the American honor is still there. It just doesn't happen to be riding uh, in, in uh, Pennsylvania Avenue right now. So uh, those people need to get their t stories told. Well, you've become, well, you said another thing last night. You are afraid that your song will be relevant, more relevant in six months than it is today. And that packs a lot. I'm not sure people appreciated what that means. I did. I got it. That means every time I cover a story of an atrocity of an American LPR or, God forbid, an American citizen, actually an interpreter tortured and strung up on a crane, blood in my hands is going to play in my head. Is that what you were referring to? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned my song Tuesday that I wrote 17 years ago about not forgetting the lessons of 9-11. It's more relevant now than it was when I wrote it. And if, if we just, you know, I talk, as I talked to my friend the other day. Uh, two, two, uh, two of our allies were hiding in a safe house. The Taliban found, found them and killed them. And they're getting more aggressive. The more this story gets out of the news in, uh, in the States, the more aggressive they're becoming. And, I mean, you've reported heavily on this. Of course, it's going to become a terrorist haven. It's already happening. Al-Qaeda is coming back. ISIS is coming back. The atrocities will happen. Um, and then something, it's only a matter of time before there's another attack, either on our, uh, 
our citizens, our military abroad, uh, and the atrocities will just continue to grow. Um, so I, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Blood on My Hands or other songs about this become more relevant six months, a year from now, five years from now. I, I could listen to Tuesday. I have listened to Tuesday a hundred times. I don't think I've heard you perform it in concert before. Do you play it in concert often? No, hardly at all. And, and this, this year, I felt I had to play it again. It's, it's, uh, and, and thankfully, some of the news organizations asked for it. But it's, it's, it was a plea. You know, I saw, you know, we Americans have a tendency to forget, right? We, we're kind of short term. We're compassionate. We think people will do the right thing. And we forget. Uh, and I think th- what's happened in Afghanistan uh, and the response and the media's response is a clear example that we've forgotten uh, the lessons of 9-11, of being attentive to terrorists, to making sure that around the world we have our eyes open, to taking protective measures, to not allowing, to not allow um, groups like the Taliban to have countries to pr- provide safe haven for terrorist training camps. So if they can provide uh, a passport. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, if they can provide a passport, they can send a terrorist anywhere in the world. You know, John, uh, I was live on the radio when 9-11 happened and broadcast eight hours that day. And I was able to post the tape of that on the 20th anniversary. I listened to it for the first time in 20 years. My voice had changed. I was 45 then. I'm 65 now. I'm a different person, but I don't think I've ever forgotten what the day was like. And you are Mr. September, you know, Reggie uh, Jackson was Mr. October. You're Mr. September singer-songwriter. And I don't know that you picked that role for yourself, but that's who you are. Uh, how did that shape your life? You know, I think it, uh, it really gave me a new perspective on music and the power of music and the significance of music. And it wasn't just Superman becoming one of the, uh, the songs around 9-11 that provided solace for, for folks across the country and for, for our firefighters and their families who lost their lives. You know, when I played uh, the concert for New York, I was sitting side stage and I watched the Who blow the roof off Madison Square Garden. And there were 20,000 kind of uh, emergency workers, folks who'd been down at ground zero, who'd been just suffering, doing horrible uh, work. I can't imagine you know, digging through the rubble for a month. And when the Who sang that song, all these people were singing, they were drinking, they were crying and that release for them was so healthy and so important. So it really kind of gave me perspective on why, how music can matter. And that, that's kind of one reason I, I wrote this song. I, I've seen it happen with songs. And certainly this song won't be like Superman. But it, it reminded me that it's not all about charts and fame and fortune and the shallow nature of the music business. You know, in the 60s and 70s, there were songs that mattered. There were songs that changed the culture. There are songs we hear today that we're proud of. And um, and for me, I think it's 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 it, we still need those songs. So it's really given me a different uh, perspective on songs, songwriting, not just my songs, but music in general. Well, Betsy turned around uh, and, and said to me, what a song, because she had heard it, but she hadn't heard it live. And it's yeah. a stark stage. You send the quartet off. You sang it probably 30 seconds longer, a little bit more of a pause than you did today when you're performing it on the uh, on the podcast and on the radio. And it's just it's a gut punch. Now, in terms of your family, I know Carla, 
you have two wonderful kids. They look like charming, wonderful kids. What do they think about John Andrzejczyk getting to find? You haven't changed. You're a patriot. But the culture has changed since 9-11. Superman could be celebrated by everyone. And blood on my hands, and I'm glad you used the term my, because it's an American complicity, not a liberal left or a right-wing complicity. What are they, are they fearful for you being defined as something? I mean, you're just not that thing. You're not a right-winger. You're not a left-winger. You're a patriot. I think my wife is. She was very nervous about putting the song out, and she's worried about you know, what the the backlash may be, though I think she's, over the last couple of weeks, she's she's really proud to see the response and the difference it's making. Uh, my son's like, cool, man, you know. My daughter, I was frankly the most worried about. Um, she goes to school in New York, and she, she's surrounded by a lot of folks that have a much different worldview. And, uh, and, and her, I'm not going to tell you what she's studying, but in that pr- profession, they have a very leftist worldview. And I had a conversation with her because I was not going to put the song out if, it, if she felt uncomfortable with it. And to her credit, she's like, Dad, if there's people that are going to um, give me a bad grade or not uh, be my friend or uh, not, you know, ding me on an audition because you wrote this song. I don't want to be their friends or associated with them anyway. And I was so proud. I have no idea if she even agrees with my sentiments of this song. She tends to be kind of center left, but she understood it's important for artists to be able to express themselves. And probably I haven't been more proud of my little girl, um, but I still worry about her because I know how Hollywood um, finds passive ways to um, blacklist folks that don't share the party line. So, but she's tough and she's a fighter. And uh, as I said, she uh, she said, okay, dad. And she's the one that gave me the final permission to put it out. You know, I think that the party line is going to switch on this, John. I really am an optimist because before 9-11, uh, the great Ron Howard's wife had written a novel about the oppression of women in the ungoverned territories. I had her on the air because I was so struck by how sensitive she was to the awful way in which women are treated. You can't actually be an advocate for women anywhere if you're not an advocate for women in Afghanistan. It doesn't work. And so I think events will compel us to turn to this. But now the context of this interview, you know, I've been talking to singer-songwriters for a long time. Alan Bergman came into the studio, he's 95 now, so it was probably 15 years ago after he'd performed down in Southern California, and we talked about the joy and the difficulty of producing the way you were or the windmills of your mind and things like that, and you get these iconic songs, and you're baggage for people. And now, the one song, though, that I think you would celebrate, you talked about it last night, I didn't know how it had become, All for One. And again, it goes back to your being a patriot. Would you tell people about how that's become a 9-11 and a military song? I don't think you yeah, can it's play the wonderful it, right? thing you, about- you, you can't play all for one without orchestra, right? Well, I ha- if I had a piano, I could. And, or give me a couple of days, I'll come back and play it for you. But you know what? For folks listening to your show, if you really want to hear the best version of all for one, uh, Google uh, all for one Army Voices, because the Army Voices did a version of that song, a cappella, that 
brings me to tears every time I, I hear it. But, you know, the song was written for Hawaii Five O for their 100th episode, and uh, it was really cool. And then I was asked a few years back to sing at the Memorial Day concert on the Capitol, uh, on the Capitol lawn, and expected, of course, for them to ask for Superman or 100 years, like people usually do. And they asked for All for One. And I was so excited and pleased. And it really has become kind of a, a rally cry for some of our military and our troops. It's very kind of raw, raw. And, and, uh, but, you know, getting back to your point about shame, uh, I have received so many emails from our, our military. And I think it's important for them to know. I actually talked to Telsey Gabbard about this because I wanted to know a feeling from someone on the left who was a soldier. And she said, here's an important thing our troops and their families need to know. This is not on you. You served with honor. You protected your, your fellow soldier next to you. You protected America for 20 years. You gave Afghanistan women a chance to experience freedom. This is not on you. Don't take it personally. You can't control the actions of some of our leaders, and we will hold them accountable. History will hold them accountable. They did everything right, and they're still doing it right. Some of them, even four stars, are down there rescuing folks that we left behind. So military families and our troops, they need to know that. It's not on them, and uh, we will find accountability. You know, the people that are most involved in this, John, uh, my son works for Michael Waltz, the congressman who's the only Green Beret in Congress. He's deeply involved in the Pineapple Express. He's not saying much publicly for the same reason you're not saying much publicly, because people get killed. Selena Zito's involved in doing stuff. People who are not, but, but Michael fought alongside Afghanistan, Afghan interpreters. And these are the people who are going to get a bullet between the head. These are the people who actually walked with our troops, who saved his life, who saw ambushes, who saw IEDs, and we screwed them. Now, at the Kasserine Pass, we get defeated. We, we abandon troops on Guadalcanal for a while. The Navy runs away. Pearl Harbor is not such a good day. Vietnam is a bug out. But this is unprecedented. We've never done anything remotely this bad. And I think we're still in a little bit of shock. It's the great national shame. It's our greatest national shame. I saw a picture of a boy that was killed in Afghanistan because uh, his father was an ally of ours. It, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of human tragedies, certainly the border right now. It's a human tragedy. But you know what? We didn't promise those people asylum here. Um, I understand compassion. We want to try to help everyone in the world. But there's a difference here. We promised them we would protect them. And we left them. We didn't just leave them. We left them to the mercy of the Taliban. And you're right. It's uh, it is a great national shame. And I do think we're still in shock. And I think that's why people want to turn their head away. But, you know, voices like yours, folks in Congress, hopefully songs like this, continuing to tell the story. Um, I think, uh, you know, again, I go back to Elliot Ackerman. They asked him, what can we do? Can we send money? He said, you know what you can do? Do the 9-11 thing. Never forget. Never forget. I think that's probably the most important thing. Elliot's been on the show. He's co-author with Admiral Stavridis of uh, 2034, and he'll be back. I want to wrap up by talking about the rest of the tour and its difference. Where are you going next, John, and, and where do people find out? Because I think this is a very unique tour. It's very different from anything I've ever heard you do for a lot of different reasons. So where are you going next? Well, we're going to be in uh, Hartford. We're going to be in Philly. Uh, we're going to be in Jersey. 
We're going to be in New York City on October 5th at Symphony Space, which should be very interesting, playing Blood on My Hands in New York City. So if, if you folks want to come down and uh, have my back or throw tomatoes, I'd be happy to see you. But, uh, yeah, it is totally different. And, again, I, I never planned on this. Um, and I wasn't even thinking about playing the song till it kind of took off with your help. And, but yeah, it has a different tone. Um, and, uh, but you know what, it, I feel, I feel satisfied that, um, that it's being, being heard. And if I didn't sing the song, I think that would be kind of a cowardly act. So my prediction is that. 20 years from now, you know, I, I last heard Dylan playing the Orange County Fair, so I don't know where you'll be playing. Some guys just have to perform whatever the venue is. They're going to you're going to be out there at 80, John, still playing. I predict it'll be, yeah, it'll be the must play set. It'll be in the must play set along with 100 Years and Superman. But I'm curious what you think the career is going to do now, what, because you are the September song, uh, September singer songwriter. That's you. And you said last night, whenever September rolls around, you get out a different songbook. I, 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 people want to hear about happy things. They want to hear about chances. They want to hear about American slice. They want to hear all that stuff. How do you, where do you see yourself going? Because this is a burden. I don't know. I, I do think that I've found um, a new kind of energy in writing songs that I think impact the culture. I, I, it's fun. It's great to write songs that people like, and I'm still going to write songs that are just songs, you know, that have no message. But I think with this particular song, I don't think it's going to be the last one. I, I'm looking to meet some artists, some Afghanistan artists who've escaped. I want to help tell their story. Maybe we'll write songs together. Um, and I, I do think there's a, you know, my, our friend Augie Nieto uh, that you know very well, who has ALS, he wrote a book called Success Versus Significance. And I've been very blessed to have successful songs and be able to make a living as a songwriter. But it might be time to write songs that maybe um, don't make everybody happy or don't please everyone, but has a message that I think is not being said in, from the artistic community. Um, and maybe they won't ever be on the radio, but maybe they'll be significant in a way that you're helping this song become. So I have I, nothing on, you know, on my docket, but this won't be the last one. I, I think the significant songs are going to show up in movies that try and help in other uh, streaming platforms and other different places that try and help people make it make sense of it. Because, John, it's not over. It's only 20 years. That's like the blink of an American eye. And what I thought was yeah. a life-changing, country-changing event did not become that. We're more tribal. So I hope you stay out of the tribal politics, but stay deeply in the consciousness of America and that the tour continues to be a success and that uh, Blood on My Hands continues to get... I mean, it's going wild on YouTube. Eventually, Alexa's going to play it, and eventually, <laughs> everyone's going to hear it. So congratulate. Great show last night. Great song. Great effort. Stay in the fight, my friend. Fight for fighting. Couldn't do it without you, Hugh, and I mean it. Well, thank you. Be well. Safe travel. Take care, buddy. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, 
Then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. AndrewandTodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.